Welcome back, my friends. Welcome back to the Luminous Education Revolution. I'm your host, Dr. Edith Ubuntu-Chan. And welcome to this exciting new session with Penny Kelly titled Healing the Past, Returning to Wholeness, and Transitioning to the New Earth. For those of you that are new to Penny's work, I invite you to watch our previous session for an introduction. Penny is an author of 11 very powerful consciousness-expanding books. She's an eloquent and masterful teacher of human consciousness and New Earth solutions. So without further ado, please help me in welcoming back the author of The Evolving Human, The Robes, Consciousness and Energy, Volumes 1 through 4, The Revival, and many other wonderful books, Penny Kelly. Welcome back, Penny. Welcome. It's good to be here. <laughs> so, um, actually, it's it's really inspiring to be here. Um, I think this kind of work is really essential in order to get a kickstart or get a leg up on what's what needs to be done in order to give a boost to the human. So, thank you. So, we were talking off camera, we we're talking about one of the other sessions, John Chavez, who's an expert in human potential. He does a lot of research about endogenous DMT and brainwave patterns. And one of his thesis was that we see that gamma brainwave access and the corresponding release of DMT from the inside out, which corresponds to all kinds of exciting new human possibilities. In his research, he found that it grows and peaks at about age five and then it crashes. But then when you look at very experienced, like Olympic level meditators, you know, like the monks and so on, you see that they can actually keep nurturing that, that happiness, that, that vitality, that inspiration, the access to multidimensional consciousness is probably our innate natural human possibility that the school system just squashes right at age five. So right. John's thesis is that... Uh, if we change the way we approach education, just like you're talking about, to think of it as the uh, a way of nurturing human potential, we'd have completely, we don't even know what kind of human, how awesome, how beautiful, how rich, inspiring and rewarding our lives could be if we nurture the full possibilities. Oh, yes, 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 yes. <laughs> So a couple of comments I would make. I think it's important to understand that every cell in the body produces DMT. Why? Because every cell in the body is engaged in the business of making reality. DMT is the basis of reality. It's a chemical basis of the reality that we see and experience all around us, in us, as well as, I'm going to say, outside the everyday reality that we all think is the norm. Um, and when DMT crashes, when you put a child in the classroom um, and all of the learning, all of the engagement with the world that should be going on, which helps to call forth more DMT, that stops because there's nothing happening in the classroom. 
The child learns through the body. And when you shut the body down and make it sit down and be quiet, what, what is there to interact with? Nothing. For 95% of the children in that classroom, nothing is happening. It's and, like you uh, use it or lose it. So it atrophies is what you're saying. Exactly. Yeah. And one of the things to be um, that I'll just comment on when I went through my whole, well, actually, it's been ever since, ever since I went through Kundalini. So that's been 1979. That, that ability, I have an ability to go back into Gama at will and stay there for hours and move back and forth between the various frequencies and Split my consciousness between gamma, high beta, and alpha, so that the body stays in alpha, which is a very healing, very relaxing frequency. It doesn't use up the body or cause trouble. Um, high beta is a high stress uh, frequency, but it's a doorway. It's kind of a step into gamma. Um, and that gamma is where you have access to everything. So all the things that John is talking about, yeah, that matches my experience exactly. People say to me, well, how do you do that so easy? Well, I don't know. But when I've had my brain, you know, when I've let people put stuff on me and, and I say, okay, what are you seeing? What do you have? And I get to watch my own brain function on the screen. Uh, even I was pretty surprised. Uh, I thought I was doing one thing and I was doing several other things all at the same time. And the researchers who were uh, testing me said, we don't know anybody, anybody, nobody we have tested in, I forget how many years it was at that point, has shown this kind of capacity. People get up into gamma, they stay there for 30, 40 seconds to two or three minutes. They can't hold it. Um, it's a, it's a very it high shorts their circuit is so much intense energy. Yeah. Yeah. For them, I guess it's too much, mm -hmm. but, um, that is something that I'm very comfortable with. And, and I think that's one of the gifts of Kundalini is that it opens that door and leaves it open so that you can move back and forth in different reality systems or different levels of even this reality system, which is complex enough all by itself. Um, and that is not uh, a common practice for very many people. And I personally think that, uh, let me use some, some examples, some indigenous people, maybe over in the Kalahari Desert, probably do that as well or the Kogi down in South America, yes. same thing. Or, you know, any of the indigenous American Indians who have maintained a connection to the source, have that range of frequencies at their fingertips. And that is, um, it allows you to see much more than other people see. And so I, I think that's the direction that we're heading in. And we need to go in that direction in order to really understand the nature of reality and consciousness. 
this conversation is getting next level really quickly. Um, uh, you know, the, about the Kogis, because this conference is about education, you're reminding me how um, I had some very powerful experiences with the Kogis, not in the physical. In 2013, I did a dark room meditation retreat that was 11 days where I spent nine days and nine nights in complete darkness, meditation, breathwork, fasting to with the specific intention of awakening as much as possible, the DMT experience endogenously from the inside out. And so it was a prolonged visionary state for nine days and nine nights. And the most educational experience probably of my life. The Kogis yeah. came to visit a number of times and taught yeah. many things in that experience. And there was an integration of past lives and uh, integrations of streams of wisdom and knowledge that I had suppressed and was made conscious in that state. And so, oh, wow. so talk about education. Like we can learn in so many different ways. Yes. So, and my child talks about, and probably the audience, a lot of our children, they actually travel in their sleep and they take classes and they learn from multidimensional friends. And, yeah. and then during the day, they're like, oh, how does that knowledge apply to this reality system? Let me like test it out and play with it, right? Like where, yeah. what kind of school are we talking about here, you know? And how the limitless possibilities of beings and streams of wisdom and knowledge that is possible with this new generation. If we really awaken to our multidimensional nature, there's so much more we can learn than what can be done in a brick building, sitting in little desks, like writing in little workbooks, you know? Oh my God. <laughs> Yes, yes, yes. There's a lot. And I I want to comment on something that you just said that I think it's really important for people to understand that the, the entire reality is being created by the mix of consciousnesses that are here. And that's you and me and everybody else. It's a, it's a composite reality. And we play off of one another and react and respond and have all kinds of impact. Um, that's just the nature of how it works. And if I was a better artist, and I've been thinking about this for a long time, how do I show that? How do I show what I see? When it's, when it's multidimensional to begin with, it's three-dimensional and active, dynamic. On top of that, and I haven't figured that out yet, but... Um, but the thing that I think is really important is that uh, I first understood that we could learn in other dimensions way back when I was like uh, 16 or 15. I was 15 and I was taking driver's training and I, we had these old cars back then that you had a clutch and a shear, a shift, gear shift. And I could not figure out what they were talking about when they said, well, let the clutch out and step on the gas. <laughs> and I just could not, that just would not sink in. Um, and, and so I would take my foot off the clutch and the car would jerk and stall and it would be a, it'd be a joke. Um, it was dangerous. And so the night before the class was about to end and we were going to have our driver's test, the teacher said, you're going to flunk because you, you, you haven't figured out how to drive yet. You haven't figured out how to let the clutch out and be pushing on the gas at the same time. 
And that night I went to bed and I went to sleep. And in the dream, I had this lucid dream that was incredibly intense in which I experienced the feel of letting that clutch out so slowly and pushing on the gas over and over and over. I practiced that in the dream. I woke up the next day, went to the last day of class, did my driver's test, and the teacher said, what the heck happened? <laughs> I was ready to flunk you. And I said, I had a dream, and he didn't know what to say to that, so he didn't say anything. But he passed me. Um, and so I, I got my permit. But that was my first experience in realizing, okay, nobody is is getting across this concept of, you know, the feel that I needed to be going for. They were going for the mechanics, not the feel. And, and so I think that that was my first aha uh -huh. and that was long before kundalini but um after kundalini occurred and i had full access to all kinds of other dimensions frequencies etc and i didn't sleep for three years however i would go to bed every night and i would get bored laying there and i would find myself out of the body in some other reality put all that together you know I, I don't want to get us too far off the track of education here but the understanding that i had eventually was that there are various stages of frequency operation in the brain that are perfect for learning some are perfect for physical manipulation some are perfect for healing some are perfect for um, reality creation or envisioning some are perfect for asking questions and getting answers etc why are we using all of that in the educational setups that we are creating and for heaven's sakes why does a teacher just get up there and in, in front of the class and and say read this and study that and we're gonna have a test and that's it <laughs> and, and who cares about, you know, when you're 16 or 17 or 14, who cares about what King Louis XIV was doing in France um, at X number of uh, X century um, or Marie Antoinette or whatever. It's like, oh, you know, that's Marie. Oh, she lost her head. You know, the kids would say, sucks to be you. So we have not taken advantage of what we've learned in terms of frequency and how to utilize those frequencies and present information and when you watch little children and they're I'm gonna say two maybe one maybe three even and they're focused on something I mean they're focused they are in an altered state they're in another frequency state that is sometimes in theta, sometimes in high beta, sometimes in gamma, sometimes it's a combination right in between alpha and beta, which is totally focused and totally creative and experimenting and manipulating at the same time, manipulating something in reality, um, tr you know, trying to get a, a square block in a round hole and it just isn't going. <laughs> Some of those kinds of things. So um, we need to re-envision 
our educational system so that it allows children to move back and forth through all those states over the course of a learning experience. If we don't do that, then they're not going to retain it and it's not going to have any meaning and we aren't going to progress as a civilization. So that's critical. What is the overarching goal of education in your opinion? It's human development. It's to bring out um, the potential of each individual. Why live? Why have a life if you don't or can't unfold yourself? The whole thing is to, when you are doing what you love to do, then there is no such thing as work. That's just the bottom line. One of the things I learned from Kundalini is that embedded in every individual is a mechanism that unfolds the entire consciousness. And once that's unfolded, it's, you can't put that genie back in the bottle. And, and it's in every single individual. And so over the years, a lot of people have made their way to my door. I'm struggling with Kundalini. Oh my God, that you, there, some of them have been suicidal, absolutely terrified of what's happening. It's like, no, 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 no. This is what's going on. Some absolutely terrified, afraid, certain, 100% certain that they have been possessed by the devil. Uh, that's not the case. What you learn with Kundalini is that there's this mechanism to enter into, you know, to expand consciousness so you can enter and move in and out of a number of different frequency systems, frequency zones, reality zones. And when you are negatively oriented and your chemistry has habituated to the chemistry that produces fear, anger, um, fight or flight, then you are the producer of all of those negative effects once Kundalini unfolds. If you don't have somebody right there walking you through that, you are liable to end up, and quite a, pe quite a few people do, in an asylum or on heavy duty psych drugs or committing suicide or curling up in a little ball and losing five, ten years of your life because it takes a long time to integrate Kundalini. A long time. If you don't have anybody, it took me 17 years. Um, other people have not made it through at all. It's a, it's a life-threatening event when it happens the way it did with me. It doesn't have to be life-threatening. It's an intelligent process. So we need to trust that process and, um, and, and work with it and set up the education system so that, <laughs> so there's a moth flew right in front of my nose. Um, so, and I forgot the exact question. Did you ask about, we'll say it again. Well, the, <laughs> the original question is what is the overarching goal of education? Okay. That's how we yeah. start. Yeah. Okay. So if so, what I was going to say was kind of in line with that. So if we can set up the education system to unfold the whole person, 
we have a whole civilization of amazing beings. People that are capable, intelligent, sensitive, uh, kind, compassionate, not stupid, not gullible. Um, people that are on track, that have that understand that we need to redo our whole reality. Um, I think the last time we talked, um, one of the things that I was going to mention that I didn't was that we have probably 20 years worth of new science to unfold everything that we have done, everything we have built in our reality is pretty much uh, negative for human life, okay? A huge amount of medications uh, have really bad side effects. Electricity, just plain old 60 cycles per second, interferes with mitosis or meiosis in the human cell, which is the division of the cell. Mitosis gets interfered with. Um, why did we choose 60 cycles per second? What, what you learn when you work with the science for a while is that um, there are, how do I say this? I'll say windows at which some frequencies are absolutely positive and then right next to that are, are frequencies that are negative. And then right above that frequencies that are positive. Um, and so in some of our research in the lab, when we were adding tremendous super superconducting energies to um, seeds, and we put those seeds on a plate, and then we put magnetics, you know, a magnet above it. At two centimeters above the seeds, we got a positive effect. At four, we got a negative. At six, we got a positive. At eight, we got a negative. And so what you see, what you understand, is that currents in reality are flowing in ways that are layered and they are um, they, they flow in opposite directions. Um, and when you have frequencies that are spiraling or flowing in a direction that is, we say in, in electricity, it provides um, destructive interference, which means it takes apart something as opposed to constructive interference, which builds form, and destructive interference takes form apart or scatters it, um, then what you begin to understand is that, man, we need to redo our entire electrical grid, the, the entire thing, in such a way that it doesn't interfere with cellular development and function which is why we only live half our lifetime, 70 years, when 150 is the norm. So, you know, I, I say in my latest book, there's a million little things. Why do we have window glass that cuts out UVA and lets in UVB uh, light? When UVB destroys vitamin D and UVA nurtures vitamin D, so much of our science has to be redone restudied in terms of not mechanics, but in terms of energetics. How are we going to get the scientists to live long enough and, and be doing that kind of research and retooling, re-engineering, if we don't do something different with our education system?
The whole education system needs to have a whole different premise, and that premise is what nurtures life. When everything we do nurtures life, we will have eternal life. When everything we do destroys life, we're going to go down before we even hit our peak potential. So. Okay. So that's a beautiful segue to the main conversation I was hoping to have with you in this okay. session, which is how do we go back through and rehabilitate ourselves? Okay. So that we have the wholeness to build this new earth. Like there's a lot of reprogramming, deprogramming, healing and integration that needs to happen so that we can really even open to these possibilities and have the vitality, energy and well-being to get to work building these new earth solutions. Sometimes it can feel overwhelming. So can you give us some guidelines of how do we go about this process? Um, are you saying, are you asking how do we correct the failure to successfully complete each stage of development or how do we correct the education system? Well, this session is part of the inner work oh, for parents okay. and educators yeah. specifically. So okay. because I think when we as adults, if we're more healed and whole and integrated, we at least just don't ruin it for the kids, you know? <laughs> I know. <laughs> that's a good first step. So um, okay. talk to us about the, the healing and return to wholeness. So what can we do? What should we be aware of so that we can transition and get ready for the new earth? Okay. So, um, so when you're talking about what, what you're actually talking about, if you're dealing with inner work is we have an entire planet full of people that are struggling with arrested development. How do we heal that? Um, how do we turn that around? So in, in doing that, you have to understand the nature of consciousness. Nothing is ever lost in consciousness. Nothing is ever, uh, I'm going to say, I don't want to sound discouraging, but I'm going to fix it in a minute. Uh, nothing, you can't say, okay, this never happened, because it did. If your parents beat you while you were growing up and it was a terrible childhood, let's use that as an excuse, you probably didn't complete all of your stages of development um, in, in the first, especially the first 14 very successfully. How do you counter that? How do you fix that when you can't undo what already happened? So let's go back to, remember, remember me saying Everything that happened in a given moment in time is all tied together in the consciousness of the individual that perceived it. All of the visual, auditory, feeling um, frequencies and states and perceptions are all tied. Okay, they exist. So here's the thing that I have come to conclude after many years of working with people. And, and teaching people, and that is that every single individual, I don't care if they're two or 82 or 92 or 102, every single individual is a consciousness 
that's going to reach for something better if they can get at least a, an idea of what, how to do that, where to go with that, how to develop that, etc. So that that's become a premise that I have learned and tested many different times. Okay, everything reaches for something better. If it's out there and your consciousness is reaching for it, it'll come to you. If it hasn't been created, it can be created. Once it's created, it will have as much potential or you will have as much tendency to reach for the better thing as you would for the negative thing. Okay, so um, the example that I use is how I discovered this was really um, when I was working with my daughter. So I had this daughter and um, and I, I write about this, I think in ropes. Um, I was going to work one day and she was a little thing, maybe four. And um, and she was running down the sidewalk early in the morning after me. She got out of the house. <laughs> she got away from the babysitter and, and chasing me saying, Mama, please, Mama, please stay home. Just one day stay home with us, please. And I didn't even turn around. I just kept walking the babysitter come running. And what I did to her in that moment was to tell her by my behavior that what she wanted wasn't important. Okay, that later caught up with us. So now she's a full-grown adult, she's in her 30s, she's married, she's got a, a child of her own, and she falls into this depression. And, and her husband calls one day and says, we have to do something. We have to do something. She's just, I can't even get her to get out of bed. She's not taking care of herself. She's not this, she's not that. Um, and so we hung up after that phone conversation and, and I'm sitting there at my desk and I'm thinking, you know, what, what happened? Why doesn't she, what's missing? Why doesn't she have the zest or the interest in her own self? Why isn't she taking care of herself? Um, a million questions passing through me and what comes to mind is this memory of her chasing me down the sidewalk and me not realizing the message I sent to her, which was, you don't matter, I'm going to work, um, what you want is not important. And I, and so I started crying, I was like, ah, you know, what have I done? Um, and then I got into daydreaming. You know, if I could go back and fix that day, what would I do differently if I just had one more chance? What could I, what would I have done if I had just, it was only one day. She was only asking for one day. Um, and I started daydreaming. I got caught up in this whole thing. Okay, turned around said, okay, I'll stay home just one day. What do you want to do today? What should we do? Let's have some fun. Because this is our only day that I'm going to stay home. And we had a really great day in my imagination, which was fully, I'm going to say visual, auditory, feeling, <laughs> it was everything. I was actually there recreating another day in which I turned around, we had breakfast together. I told the babysitter, okay, you go home. Um, 
and then we went for a bike ride and then you know in the afternoon we had we played in the sandbox we did all this fun stuff ice cream cone went to the library at the end of the day i tucked the two of them i had two daughters at that point tucked them into bed and said um I love you bushels and gobs. It was just something that was spontaneous that came in that that daydream because I had never used that term before. And and then I realized, oh, you know, it's time to fix supper. I need to get going. And so I got up realizing I had spent close to two hours with the tears and the, the daydreaming and the wishing I had done something different and the phone call with my son-in-law. And about two or three days later, my daughter called me on the phone and said, Mom, I've decided I need to take better care of myself. And, and I was like, oh, wow. Okay, something has shifted for her. We have this conversation. We get to the end of the conversation. She says, bye, Mom. I love you bushels and gobs. And I was just like, where did she get that? And what I realized was that by allowing myself, which was really accidental, <laughs> most stuff that people discover is accidental, by allowing myself to engage in that intense recreation of the day that the wrong message was sent, I created something that had as much power for her to access as the thing that was negative and she was already reaching for that better outcome so i followed that up with a little more um, a little bit more um, deliberate imaging of what i thought would be helpful and you know today she's a dynamo an absolute and utter dynamo she has her own business um you know all kinds of stuff so what I then began experimenting with little bitty children, two-year-olds, one and two-year-olds, um, planting seeds in their consciousness using words that had certain frequencies to them, frequencies that were ethical, frequencies that involved the expansion of consciousness and curiosity. And even though they didn't know what the word was, you, I, what I would see was that they would stop like, what is that word? And for just a, a split second, they, you could see them freeze while they were accessing the energy of that word. And, and then I started deliberately um, using guided imagery. I know how to use guided imagery and the language of energy and, and started using that to get people to create an alternate scenario that had as much power and push or pull, whatever you want to call it, as the negative stuff. And people would pull out of their depression, they would pull out of their alcoholism, they would pull out of their drug addiction, they would pull out of their abusiveness, they would pull out of their fear, they would pull out of their, I don't know if I can do this, and start saying, I can, I can. And I realized, okay, the nature of consciousness is such that nothing is ever erased. However, because we have an innate tendency to reach for the highest possible 
uh, potential for ourselves at any given point in time, if you create a counter, a counterweight, a counterbalance to that thing that was so awful, that consciousness is going to begin to reach for that. The other is still there, but it doesn't have the power that it had before because now there's a counterbalance that is that that individual is reaching for and they begin to create an alternate version of themselves because we are multidimensional creatures we build a whole new body let's say we get cancer and we want to heal we say well I'm going to change my diet and I'm going to exercise and I'm going to do this and I'm going to get rid of a bad job or a bad husband or a bad wife or whatever um, and change everything about my life. What are they really doing? They're building an alternate self and then they step into it and say, yeah, I healed myself. They really built a whole new self. The old diseased self is still there, um, but the new self is where they are at. And so there are a number of different ways. They're fairly, I'm gonna say sophisticated and fairly simple to do and um, and when you introduce somebody to that kind of imagery their own tendency to want to lean in that direction is almost a given so because that's the way we are as humans we can if we have had really bad experiences um, not only correct by creating an alternate thing to reach for um, but we can build an alternate self as well and that is not it's not that difficult to do if you're a teacher um, that is accelerated teaching and learning and brain compatible um, teaching and learning and themed teaching and learning all of those are ways of incorporating the natural capacities of consciousness in such a way that people heal physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. So we need to reteach uh, teachers not how to teach their subject matter, but how to understand um, consciousness and the nature of consciousness, how it works and how to use that in such a way that you develop the whole person, not just an understanding of English, reading, writing, arithmetic, that kind of thing. Does that make sense? Very powerful and very inspiring because as we come across this new information, I think as, as moms and dads and teachers, we love our kids and we're always doing the best that we know how. Right. And when we become aware that unintentionally we create a damage in the past there is a lot of like guilt and fear and shame and anxiety yeah. and all of these things is like okay well let's be gentle with ourselves we were doing the best we knew how in the past and now That's we cool. know better yeah not only will we do better moving forward but yeah we can actually shift the energy of the past which is so exciting right. you know that's true that's true. Shift the energy of the past and build an alternate future for ourselves, for our children, for the entire world. So um, it's not something that is not is it's not something that's out of reach. Put it that way. 
it involves a different understanding of consciousness um, and and that I think is it's makes such a difference such a huge difference so I'm often reminded of you know other places I've been where other races of beings from other planets um, who have children they love their children like we love ours oh, holy cow <laughs> um, they first of all you can't get permission to have a child if you don't really have a huge and I mean long uh, an intense amount of training in terms of consciousness development um, they because they've been through what we're going through right now they've already been through this whole civilizational thing um, they've been through the uh, struggle the what I'm gonna call extinction level events that reduce their numbers to an absolute minimum and they have fought their way back and so every child is precious I think I mentioned that the last time we talked but they keep their children very close the focus is on that the development of the perfect child um, there are a few things that for for instance just just for me like if I were were starting a school of of higher development of children or something along that first of all um, the one of the things that uh, there was a, a guy that I knew I didn't know him personally but I knew of his work and read and talked and he was part of a I'd have to look up his name but he was part of the UN um, way back in the beginning of the UN and um, he had discovered that uh, children who were exposed to a lot of sounds a lot of visual stuff a lot of smells a lot of experiences um, all sorts of things that were food for those image banks auditory banks um, parietal lobe information sequences sensory motor all that stuff um, when he enriched the environment of children um, from the moment they were born that their development was astounding he was also the one which I've talked about I think in um, maybe it's in my classes maybe I haven't talked about it a whole lot on patreon but he was aware of the tribes in Africa who when they had a child the child would be born they'd flip that child up on the mother's belly and she would begin massaging that child from head to toe for the next three days that's what she focused on was massaging that child what happens when you do that is the entire central nervous system it starts right off it's almost like kundalini for the central nervous system right from the birth onward and that child would be able to sit up make eye contact smile understood the concept of out of sight out of mind little kids don't usually get that until they're quite old they could walk and run by before they were six months of age um, they had they were just incredibly capable when you put that kind of development which is actually what animals do let me compare us to animals for a moment um, when you have a cow 
and that the cow has calf, what does that cow do for the next number of hours, day or two? Head to toe, yeah. Head to toe, licks that calf from head to toe. What happens when that calf does not get licked from head to toe? He doesn't walk right. His digestive system doesn't work correctly. He isn't as perceptive or responsive. He often loses some reproductive capacity. Um, he's belligerent or it's belligerent or antisocial. Um, all sorts of problems. That What that mother cow is doing is bringing that little calf's entire central nervous system online and functioning at a high level right from the start. Um, so why aren't we doing that? Why don't we put that child right up on that mother's belly and massage it from head to toe? Those children are extremely perceptive right from birth. Within three days, they're able to sit up and make eye contact. So um, when you then add this rich uh, array of sights and sounds and smells and stories and, um, you know, activities, etc., we could be developing children of an extraordinary uh, perceptual capacity. And we're not doing that. So uh, we have some things that we could experiment with and learn and, and see, you know, what else could we add? What else could we do? We have to break out of the box that we're in and I think we're breaking out now, but are we going to go anywhere that we want to go? Um, that's an issue. So um, there's much, there's a lot of exper experimenting and exploration, not in the scientific labs, but in the everyday homes and in the hearts of the mothers and the fathers who love their children. So, and I, I want to refer back to when I've been in other places with other groups, other races of people from other planets, that's what they do. Their focus is 100% on that child. And sometimes by the time that child is, we would say, has been in existence for six years, they're, they're, they're full-grown adults. Now, that doesn't happen in all the races. But some of them have perfected the ability to accelerate the physical development as well as the mental, the emotional, and the spiritual. So we have a lot we could learn from other places. A lot. I don't want to shock anybody, so maybe I'll stop that <laughs> kind of comment there. <laughs> so back to this current time yeah. on Earth, what are some practical tools that we can start with? Um, at what let's say we haven't. Do you want to start, start, at school? start at school? I want to start with preconception. How does the mom and dad prepare their consciousness to receive a magnificent soul into their family? Oh, wow. During pregnancy, how do we nurture the development of the body and all the health and well being, but also the ability to hold the, this expansive frequency set? That also, yeah. I had a, a very powerful experience with my second pregnancy where my child communicated with me and she said, there's right. nothing wrong with your body, but I need you to sleep 12 hours a day. 
Oh, wow. I'm like, why am I sleeping so much? She said, because we need to expand your frequency set to anchor what I'm trying to bring through. So can you just please lay down and <laughs> let's do some frequency upgrades so that oh. I can actually develop the physical vessel that can have this expanded set of possibility. Right. So I was like, wow, I hadn't heard of that anywhere, but she communicated and coached me through that. Yep. So I'm just open to, there's a lot that we can do to assist in the wholesome development of a human here. Yeah, that actually is one of the things the Little Men of Brown Robes brought up several times. It was, um, if I could put it in a nutshell, why are you getting pregnant and letting anyone in? That was like, for me back then, it's like, what? What, what, what? <laughs> so their statement was, you have to develop yourselves at least enough to begin the invitation. Who do you need? What do you need? Have you kept track of your family members or peers and associates with skills that you might want to invite back and bring in knowing this is the person who's coming in that I'm carrying and right from the birth you exposed that infant to the work that they did in their previous life. So that at the time was so revolutionary for me. But they said you have to develop your ability to communicate with the people that you think are dead and they're not dead. <laughs> and that that was I was like, well, I'm not telling anybody this. They'll think I'm nuts. <laughs> but in the in the process of dealing with my own family members, I started keeping track of who was leaving and and inviting them to let me know were they coming back, when, um, what was the goal of the life, what were they trying to learn, etc. And um, so we have a little, I have a little, I don't know, family tree or map of a few people that I have um, been told before they came in, I'm coming back, this is what I'm coming for, this is who I'm coming to, this is when I'll be back, and sure enough, you know, they showed up right on schedule, um, and that has been a big eye-opener right there. So it's really, if you want to talk about how do you get ready for that, first there has to be a little bit of a development of the adult, and they have to trust that at least that they can get that connection through a dream, if not direct mind-to-mind -mind telepathic consciousness or messages that they pick up. Um, people are very good. I've, I have been teaching for a long time. They're very good when I say, okay, we're going to do this, and they do it, and then they go, ah, what did I just do? Oh, my God, I didn't think I could do that, and they freak out. Um, and that, that changes you, that changes your perception of yourself and who you are and what you're capable of. And it takes a little bit of, you know, a few minutes or a few weeks or even months to integrate that expanded perception of yourself. But once it starts, it doesn't stop. And it's amazing.
So if there could be a little bit of development of the adults, then there could be a really conscious, okay, I'm going to get pregnant for this reason. I'm going to uh, invite so-and-so to come back. Let me see if they're ready, willing, and able to come back or if they have another plan. And you start the communication. And, and it goes from there. You keep track of when you send out a message and when a message comes back because it's not always immediate. Um, and sometimes you'll be contacted before you get pregnant. I'm coming to be with you. Um, or I'm coming to be in your family. So-and-so is going to get pregnant, but it's you I'm coming to be with. It's like, oh my gosh. <laughs> okay, so, um, so that's a first step. And then once the child, once the pregnancy is occurring, um, the child will come and go. The, the consciousness will come and go from that body that's developing. Um, but typically about seven months into the pregnancy, that individual who's coming to be in that body will anchor in and not be going back and forth too much. A little bit, but not a whole lot. Um, and and then once they're born, um, you listen. You, you start at the breakfast table with little little bitty kids. Did you have a dream last night? Um, what did you dream about? And you let them tell you about their dream. And what you begin? There are whole cultures that have a morning ritual of sharing dreams. Um, they're very advanced. Most of these are in Southeast Asia but um, the cultures are amazingly intuitive and children learn right from the start that this dream is not just something to blow off it is me out there creating reality in a way that's not quite as limited by the limitations of the physical form and they begin to understand the messages in dreams, why they had a certain experience, and, um, and they always know what's coming. So it's, uh, that's one way is through dreams. Another is to say to your children from time to time, um, let's say you're putting them to bed and they're squabbling, they don't wanna go to bed. Um, you say, okay, let's play a little game. Let's play a little game before you go to sleep. So you plant the seed that they're going to go to sleep. And then you say, okay, close your eyes. Um, focus on, let's pretend that we're going to see what's happening with uh, Aunt Susie over in, you know, some other city or some other town. What do you pick up? What do you see? Tune in. What's Aunt Susie feeling or thinking or saying? Depends on whether you're developing seeing, clairvoyance, um, clairaudience was what's Aunt Susie saying, or what is she feeling, which is, um, you know, clairsentience. So, and you play this little game and maybe you do it with two or three people and you write down what that child says. And then the following Tuesday or Wednesday, whatever day you focused on, um, you see how Aunt Susie, you call Aunt Susie and say, hey, what are you doing? How, how are you doing, etc. Whatever it is you ask to, to see or know in this game. And you develop that child's ability or practical 
ability to put their their attention to focus wherever in space and time they want to focus so that's another way another is absolutely um, with guided imagery another is let's play story I'll make up a line you make up a line I'll make up a line you make up a line um, and so you play this story in which you um, create reality and you pay attention um, or you create a story and you pay attention as to whether or not that story actually unfolds in real life so those are some of the ways that and then of course there's the real stories um, one of our favorites in the family was the Velveteen Rabbit. I think I must have listened to that five million times on recording. Um, and finally bought the book. What is this about? What happened? You know, this is about becoming real. Um, and uh, it's just a wonderful story. The language of energy that's contained in all of Snow White, Cinderella, um, you know, all of the stories, uh, the, the Brothers Grimm, a whole lot of other stories, those are myths about human development. Um, and so you start teaching that child early to look below the surface and to expand. And they, once they get that, there are periods, what I've noticed is that there are periods when, um, maybe 13 to 16 they'll slow down often especially if it's a male they're not as interested in that kind of thing but they've already got it and um, and so you switch gears now they're 16 they come home from school um, or from a friend's house or from a game of some sort and they they tell you something that went on that was um, maybe less than good okay <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking about one of my kids coming home and saying well um, we were we went to get something to eat after the game and um, and they all wanted to smoke and so I smoked a little um, and I said oh and immediately said what did you think about that experience instead of bad mouthing instead of complaining instead of forbidding you take that opportunity to teach that child to ask what did you think about that and you have a dialogue in which you go back and forth and you don't you don't uh, you know be negative what you do is you try to draw out their perception of where that might go how that might affect the body. Um, there were lots and lots of those opportunities um, that children had, uh, that my children presented me with. Um, they would come home and they would say, well, so-and-so did such and such. Never saying, and I was part of that. <laughs> they left that piece out. But um, then they would, they would um, be quiet for a minute and I would say, mm, you know, How'd you feel about that? What do you think they felt? What you know, all sorts of questions that didn't condemn, but got them to go deeper, and that's a natural thing for them now. You know, now that they're all 
And it gets you to go deeper. Yeah, there's a reparenting of ourselves because many of us didn't have that opportunity to take full advantage of these situations of life, to debrief with a loving adult that holds an energy of unconditional love and curiosity versus judgment of like, no, don't do that again. It's like that's opportunity lost so many opportunity lost so with our teens we get to go back through time and reparent ourselves and nurture that aspect of ourselves that is so true (laughs) yeah yeah you're when i said earlier or we were talking earlier your children teach you so much um yeah they do they teach you how to love they teach you how to see the world they teach you how to create they teach you how to fix your mistakes Um, There's so many things. They're such a gift. Children are such a gift. Oh, my gosh. You've shared so much about um, dreams and meditations and visionary states, but how do we nurture our kids to be responsible, professional, reliable, grounded, practical humans also? Um, You have to start when they're, as soon as they're walking, as soon as they're crawling. Um, when they, when children are, I'm going to say three or four or two, even (laughs) they, and you're doing the dishes or you're, you're baking something or you're creating something or whatever it is, they often will say, I'll do, I want to do it. Can I do it? You let them do it. They slop it up. Terrible. They break stuff and you go, whoops, (laughs) you know, or they i remember my little um, grandson saying i'll vacuum he might have been three and he could you know he had had the vacuum hose and he did a terrible job but that didn't matter it was the fact that he was allowed to help and he's already learning before he's aware Uh, If you're trying to teach a child to be uh, helpful and join in and practical and have all these skills, 12 is pretty late in the game because now they can, they'll try to con you. Oh, I I couldn't do that. Or they do a crappy job and say, well, I don't know why, because they haven't had the early experience of being completely open to picking up all the little details of how to do this correctly. And so they do a terrible job with the dishes and they break one or two along the way. Well, so what? Um, you come along and you say, oh, you know, this, you didn't get this one clean. Here, do this again. Um, this needs another, another wash. Uh, and you teach them to see their own work. So you have to let them be involved in what you're doing. Um, if you're in an office, you let them hear you talk on the phone. Um, you, if they want to play with a keyboard on the computer, uh, you let them play on the computer. You give them little jobs to do. Uh, you show them how things work. It's a, it's a labor of love. That's, they're right beside you all the way. You don't send them off to daycare and then at age of 14 or 15 think they're going to all of a sudden you know, fit in to the family and what you do and how you do it. It just doesn't work that way. So you have, when you have a child, they have to be your sidekick. 
you will suffer through a lot of stuff that gets, you know, slapped up, messed up, broken, um, you know, a fair to middling job. But what you notice is that they get better and better and better. And they begin to critique their own selves in other ways. That's called transfer. And you want them to transfer that I that says this isn't clean enough or you missed that part of the floor or, you know, whatever it is. You want them to transfer that skill to their English essay or their science project, um, et cetera, et cetera. That ability to transfer is critical. So, um, and they do get better and better. And you will see, you'll hear them note that the kids that they play with, some of them can't do anything. And they're like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> it's like, try to be compassionate. Children are so blunt. Um, be compassionate with your friends. Maybe they didn't have an opportunity to work with their family. Um, and so teach them, show them how you do it, etc. that kind of thing. So that's something that is really, um, it starts right from the beginning and there's no way to get to bring that on when they're 16 or 17 and you think they're old enough to be handling whatever it is. It's too late. It's way too late by then. So that makes well, sense. Penny, I could speak with you all day. In fact, I often have Penny Kelly on loop, like all of your YouTube and Odyssey videos when I'm vacuuming, folding laundry. There's so yeah. much to learn from you and your books. Uh -huh. I've read about half of them and just okay. treasure trove of riches, like so many great things to explore. So I'm sad to say that it's the end of the second hour. It's probably time to let you go. And so um, if you could remind our audience again how to follow your work, your website, the different offerings, how can we follow your work? Um, I think the best way is just go to my website, consciousnessonfire.com um, or pennykelly.com. Takes you to the same place. Um, and that's where my books and my classes are and my tea and consciousness and um, Patreon slash patreon.com slash Penny Kelly. That's where a lot of my uh, classes are, a lot of uh, conversations, tea and consciousness, we record those. A lot of questions, people are struggling with health right now, so there's a lot of questions about health. And then I'm on YouTube and BitChute and Odyssey and a lot of the, the Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. So if you don't have time to go and watch something, you can listen to something. So, and then my books are at Amazon. So, um, and I teach, I teach classes in intuition, one, two, three, four, five, six, and seven. So um, those are, they're hard to get into. They're, they, they, they fill up in a very short time. Um, so, uh, but let us know if you're interested and we'll put you on our newsletter and you get a heads up as to when that class is going to be released and then you can be ready. So to tie up this amazing multi-dimensional experience of, of, um, of receiving yeah. this powerful transmission from you, if we could tie it up to the most important piece of advice, especially with regards to the inner work, the inner healing, 
for us to prepare for this transition into the new earth. What's your most important piece of advice that you'd like to leave us with? Um, I think that there's two things I would say. One is it doesn't matter how old you are, you can still open your consciousness. I've had women and men at the age of 82, 84 um, have full-blown kundalini experience. It's never too late. The second thing I would say is that you it's really a good idea to understand the nature of consciousness and the nature of reality and how all this is unfolding and because it helps you with your health it helps you with your relationships and we really need it <laughs> the whole planet is struggling with arrested development and so you know one at a time if we could sort of restart that development process we'd all benefit, you especially. So don't give up. Don't ever, ever give up. Thank you so much, Penny. Thank you for your presence on this planet. Thank you for choosing to incarnate here to accompany all of us with your wisdom and facilitate the blossoming of human possibilities. It's so much appreciated. I have so much love and gratitude for you, for your work, for Daphne too. Daphne, if you're listening, I know yeah. you're the woman behind the scenes making all of this possible and your beautiful community, Penny. You have such a beautiful community. It's such a blessing to be part of it. I know. They're amazing. Oh my gosh. Thank you for inviting me. I hope what I've said is useful or at least starts a few sparks turning and get the engine going. Yeah, we have an interesting journey. Let's go. <laughs> Thank you so much, you guys. I look forward to seeing you for our next session. See you soon. Okay, bye. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. 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 bye.